I love that for you. The podcast celebrating the late bloomers and trailblazers of all walks of life. I'm Kelly. And I'm red, 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 red. <laughs> and I can see why you're singing because you just started school. Tell me everything. I've tried to keep it for the pod. I am so excited for you. Tell me everything. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Like, so it's both amazing and overwhelming. I won't lie because again, it's learning the technical side of like everything. And I am very much my own self-taught kind of person. So I know I don't have the most technical knowledge, but everything is amazing that we're learning about. And it's everything that I've wanted to learn. And we're starting off focused on hair, which... For the record, because of what you showed me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So uh, I may have to rename her, but I got a mannequin head that has hair, and her name was originally Judy. Love. But then we had a actual Judy join the class. So now (laughs) it feels really awkward to call her that. So I may be renaming mine to Cynthia after the Rugrats doll. Good, good. Because the rate at which I am torturing this poor mannequin's head, because, okay, growing up, I never learned how to braid. I never learned how to do any of those things. I can clearly hear my sister in my brain being like, you're messing it up. Stop. (laughs) I don't like this. So like, I just never learned. And now we're learning not only regular braids, but French braids, Dutch braids, all these different kinds and like how to incorporate them into hairstyles and then how to do blowouts and how to do curling with a straightening iron. Ooh. And this one girl, I don't think she meant to do this, but uh, she was like checking out other people's work in the class and she went to each person. She's like, oh, I love this. I love this. And she looked at mine and she skipped over. <laughs> no. Oh, no. What were you doing? Were you braiding? Um, we were doing half and half. They were both curls and one had to be like really polished and smooth and half the head had to be like messy beach waves and oh my beach waves just look like a mess like oh no like uh something went wrong on that beach so (laughs) again hair has never been my specialty but it's such a good thing to know especially if i'm gonna do bridal being able to also assist with doing bridesmaids hair as you remember (laughs) yes um and yeah just knowing how to be able to do simple things like that plus also we're gonna learn different time periods so learning vintage hair i was gonna say because also i was gonna say i i'm very surprised to hear you say hair hasn't been your thing because your hair is always so polished and on point and you do it yourself i imagine so it's Um, just interesting what are you talking about because (laughs) i literally (laughs) what are you talking about are we looking at the same person well (laughs) okay so great because i pin the hell out of it that's hiding the mess that is So I'm cheating when it comes to my hair stuff. So instead of doing like a true bumper bang where you tease it out and then roll it over, I literally just throw a little donut thing in. Hot tip, everybody, if you want to do a simple bumper bang, which is like a a fake bang, it's like a roller, get one of those those donuts for your hair, cut it so that it becomes just a straight line and roll your hair and then pin the crap out of it. Literally, I've done that. And then another girl will be like, oh, my hair's in my face. 
it and I'll pull it out of my bumper bang, a pin, and just pin her hair for her. And she's like, how many do you have in there? I'm like, too many to count. It is you so- You do tutorials on your Instagram. You're going to get Maybe I will. Maybe I will. Just like the cheater way of doing it because there is the real way, which is- Because they didn't have really- I mean, to my knowledge, they didn't have the donuts and stuff like that. Maybe they used something else to roll them. But most of the time, it was all teasing and hairspray. Huh. And all the hairspray had like asbestos in it. You know, it's just like- yeah, right. Oh, right. No. I'm really excited. I'm learning so much already and I'm really happy to be learning this. It's just, it does feel funny to be 30 something. I'm not going to say my exact age, but <laughs> to be starting over and learning something that it feels like a 12 year old probably knows and is like, really, uh, you can't do a Dutch braid. And I'm like, no, uh, I, don't I even can't. Know what that is. I could not do it. It's, it's a reverse like French braid. I don't even know how to do a French braid. I can only do a basic braid. Well, I feel a little bit better now because like, yeah. I'm not the only one, my, like the only person my age who doesn't know how to do this because I mean, how. listeners help me feel a little bit better. Do you guys know how to do braids? Do you guys like know? I mean, hairstylists stay out of this conversation. Yeah, you're because, not invited. Uh, uh, uh. I just know the basic braid. Rewinding, how old would you say? What's the breakdown of your class? Like how many people? What is the breakdown? It's a good men, mix. There's 15 people now. A couple people started a little bit late. Granted, we're not even a weekend, so it's still early on. Right. But I would say there's a few of us from the U.S. There's uh, somebody from there's somebody from Bolivia, somebody from Costa Rica. Oh wow. Uh, Brazil. Um, Whoa. And then obviously there's a lot of Canadians. There's a lot of very young people. Granted, I think very young as like under the age of 25. You're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different 18 to 24, you know. But like everybody <laughs> was pretty open about why they were doing this. Pretty personal. Um, one person was saying that they left studying psychology for their doctorate at an Ivy Whoa. League school to go do this instead. There's a guy who just finished his forensics degree and he wanted to do this too. So now he's back in school doing this. Whoa. There's people I've been open about. They're very uh, encouraging of understanding like, you know, you don't have to disclose, but people who have different learning styles and things like that, they're very accommodating and making sure like everybody, even though we're all learning the same thing, they all know we don't learn the same way. And yeah, we've all just been pretty open. There's a part of our grade that's about professionalism and it's a pretty high percentage because of the fact that they don't want any bullying or any kind of what is it called where oh hold on one second that would be my mother hold on one second hey mom let me call you back i'm recording my podcast oh you want to talk to judy instead of me (laughs) all right bye mom love you can we keep that on the pod yeah i'll let my mom know i literally held it up to the mic it's like she knew honestly like that's my mom for you we're so keeping it. mom's interrupting the podcast so that she could talk to judy i mean i want to talk to judy we need to show judy on the pod i think yeah we, we should oh the, my god the by the yeah. way uh so some of my homework is to like bring well i'm calling her cynthia now so we're gonna oh, yeah, name right. her because i want to respect Sorry. my other classmate and not yes but cynthia i had to bring her home and <laughs> Image of a head oh, out of your oh, Kelly, Kelly, oh, no. hold on one second. I'm going to send you an image right Please now, do. just of her in my backpack. Oh. Go ahead, Kelly, take a look at your I... Instagram. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, what am I seeing? Is this like a, a head pillow or is that just your backpack? That's my backpack, but it's Wait, tightened. It looks, it looks like it's like a, a an 18th century like pillow. She's like babushka. Yeah, she's babushka, Cynthia. Honestly. So anyways, that's but that's literally if you just open the flap to the top of my backpack, that's what you would see. And, and I went to spin and I literally went, hey, you want to see something kind of creepy? And they were like, okay. And I opened up the bag and they literally were like, holy crap, like just uh, terrifying people I'm trying to make friends with. Did you this... do that makeup on it, by the way? or was No, that already... I did not. Okay. That's painted on her. So oh, yeah, she comes Wait. like that. How do you do makeup then? You're doing that on real people. Oh, that's going to be on re- all we're doing with her. Um, Cynthia is only for hair. Got it. And when, so how long is that for? Is that for the month? For the month. Okay. So I will be focused on hair for that long, which is really good because again, we're not even a weekend. I've been practicing the braids. I'm keeping Cynthia home for the weekend. She's going to be my new roommate. Caboose is kind of in love with her. Um, I have to like hide her from him. I was going to say, has he gotten into her hair yet? I can see this. He has actually, but thankfully it's before I washed her. So any cat contamination like he literally has like his paws all over her not to mention so washing her hair and then setting her up in the bathroom to air dry i've given myself no less than three heart attacks walking into the bathroom and just seeing like someone's head turned in the corner oh my god i would have gotten that out of their stat i would totally forget i I totally forgot and i'm going and i almost like pee my pants because i'm on my way to use the bathroom and then all of a sudden there's just a like a person standing in the corner that's what it looks like and with like their long hair i'm like oh god it's samara from the ring like oh no i love all of this that we're doing i just feel like right now i i don't expect to be the best in the class there's literally a girl who's an apprentice hair stylist dresser all that like the teacher is referring to her for some questions yeah how old is she is she like she's like 20 oh jesus but she's been doing this like she's been in her apprenticeship for like three years okay are you you're not the oldest in your class are you or I you? might be, honestly. No, there's I know there's someone who joined who said her age and she's a couple years older than me. It's great. And again, like we do have older students. It's not just me. Yeah. But I would say predominantly they are pretty young. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Yeah. They're gonna be so, your new friends. I'm excited for you. I mean, I hope so. Uh it's still too early to be like, oh, and yeah. you know me. <laughs> I, I I oh the poor girls next to me. I don't think they realize what a talker I am. Um, oh, really? So, Are they like brushing you off? No, they're not brushing me off, like literally or figuratively. Yeah. Um, they are it's just funny because this one girl is like oh my god like because i keep making like little comments like i had cynthia and i'm just like so what are we doing today um (laughs) and or i'll do something and oh i almost was i was turning in my chair and i almost the wire wrapped around my foot to the straightener that was on no and i froze midway and was like well that could have ended badly and she looks over and she's like oh my god so terrifying it's things like that where i don't think they really i don't think people know what to make of me yet (laughs) i think that's the thing that's very interesting about this because i mean i did tell them a little bit about myself um i was very open just about having worked in television and making a big change due to trauma i i was open about it um granted i didn't phrase it quite like that um but they basically inferred from the way i said Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. um 
you just have to say the Me Too movement and people yeah. they get it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And but again, because people were being so open and vulnerable, I felt comfortable doing that. And a part of me is like, I don't know, one girl actually said she's like, You're very quirky. And I mean that in a good way. Because again, <laughs> I'm also in my pinup style, like I right. have my bumper bangs in, I show up and I have like my beret on. Like it's just my style. But again, people are kind of like, That's different. And it's but then so I'm very cool. friendly and, you know, trying to be helpful, even though I'm so not helpful when it comes to hair. You're a golden um, retriever, red. I think. Uh, that's your that's your breed. <laughs> I can't make I can't make a decision if I'm a black cat or a golden retriever. I go back and forth. I, I'm just I'm a cat dog. That's cat what dog. I am. Anyways, <laughs> anyway. I feel bad because we've been talking so yes. much about me and school, I mean, like literally I've... for 15 minutes now. <laughs> Come on, you, the listeners are gonna love it. We've been talking about it for how long? This entire podcast? I mean, <laughs> listen, my mom doesn't want to hear from me. Like she wants Cynthia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, me. There's not too much. I guess this weekend we're doing a spontaneous road trip to go tailgating at the polo fields where Coachella is with our friends which is random oh okay wait <laughs> so it's not Valley. Coachella though no not Coachella it's three months before Coachella but uh, our friends who live in Joshua Tree just invited the group chat out to tailgate at the polo field uh, hey why so, not why not so we're gonna do that this weekend I think next weekend we're going to Ventura so all of our trips are starting and it's just that weird time where nobody's working but they're just starting to work Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like I think just now people are like oh yeah we have to work again (laughs) right that's been fun getting back into the swing of things but Mm. uh, yeah your life is more interesting than mine oh I don't think so (laughs) I mean again I'm looking for more calm balance all that and And so far more chaotic right exactly we (laughs) talked about this and And meanwhile, I'm carrying around heads in my bag. So it's off to a great start. Off to a great start. (laughs) But you know what was a little chaotic, Red? Mm. woman! (laughs) So we're we're in the thick of award season. And did you see the Golden Globes? I am bad. I did not. Um, It's fine. But it's been coming up so much in class because... We have to look at like hairstyles and makeup and stuff like that. That's going on. What are current trends? And oh, so I should have been watching. Shut up. Emma Stone killed it. Loved. Loved her look. So yeah. Good. Yeah. She had like impeccable. Oh, love. But no, well, I think all the winners were good. I was just, it's Joe Coy who's at the heat of everything. And by the time this oh, airs, I know. Like I a month that. too late. But this is all to say we're in the thick of awards season, which is a whole other subject we could debate until the end of the oh, times. <laughs> tell me about it. But that is the connection that is bringing me to finally profiling two days iconic trailblazer of all trailblazers like i challenge you to name me someone red who embodies the term trailblazer more than this person he has inspired the likes of morgan freeman denzel washington wesley snipes samuel jackson donald glover lawrence fishburne countless others today i am finally talking about legendary diplomat film director, and the first black actor to ever win an Academy Award, Sidney Poitier. Whoa! Yes! How did we not do this before? I I mean, one, how how have we not? And two, girl, are you doing historical again? He died in 2022, so technically. What? Yeah, did you not know? He he was 94. He's been around. Why did I think it was? I'm so sorry, Mr. Poitier. I (laughs) thought he passed away, like, in the earlier 2000s, but I didn't think it was... 
just been around. technically two years ago? Two, like almost exactly as we record this, two years ago. It was January 6th, 2022. January 6th, again, red, is not a good day. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but... I can't believe we haven't done this. Like, no, I I was actually going to do Morgan Freeman. And then I was researching through interviews. And he said that Sydney was a huge inspiration to him. I'm like, hold up. Why have we not done this? <laughs> so I changed. Honestly, yeah, he yeah, is yeah. such an inspiration. And oh, my God, what a powerhouse actor. What just like the way he carries himself and also so well spoken outside of that. What yes. a class act. I know you're going to go into it. So I don't, oh, don't want to say too much. because Big time fan things. Steven, All right, so let's we- go. He was born February 20th, 1927 in Miami, Florida, and he's the youngest of seven children. And his parents, Evelyn and Reginald, were Afro-Bahamian tomato farmers, actually. They owned oh. a farm on Cat Island in the Bahamas. But here's an interesting factoid about his birth. So the family would travel to Miami to sell their tomatoes to wholesalers. Mm-hmm. And Sydney was actually born prematurely. So it was totally unexpected. He was two months early. So he was born while he was in Miami, while his parents were there on business, and he was not expected to survive. His dad reportedly even made like a shoebox casket in preparation for what he thought was going to be the inevitable. But luckily to the world... His parents remained in Miami for three months and nursed him back to health. So crazy that he already the odds are against him. And thank God he survived because w- what a legend, right? So didn't know that. No, I didn't either. Yeah. So Poitier grew up in the Bahamas and his birth in the U.S. would entitle him to U.S. citizenship, which was very helpful later. And he lived with his family on Cat Island until he was 10 when they moved to NASA in the Bahamas. and. This is so funny. There, he was exposed to the modern world. And for his first time in his life, he saw an automobile, electricity, plumbing, a fridge, motion pictures, and a mirror. He had never seen any of these things before. What? Cat Island was remote. No modern civilization to speak of. So that's the first time. I know. So he, age 15, this is in 1942, he sent to Miami to live with his brother's large family because I guess Sydney was getting into a little trouble in NASA. Some petty thievery, (gasps) things like that. Yeah, yep, yep. But his dad was like, "Uh uh-uh, we got to get you out of here. This isn't good for you. So See, and here I thought he was just (laughs) stealing hearts. My goodness, (laughs) I mean, he was later, but he found it impossible when he was in Miami to adjust to, of course, the racism in Jim Crow era Florida. And he, in fact, once wandered into a white neighborhood where he was not supposed to be. And he got held up at gunpoint. And I think it's important to note here that all of his life up until now, he's been surrounded by 90% black people in the Bahamas. So in his mind, black people are totally capable of doing everything where he's from. They do do everything where he's from. So he didn't ever have to think about the color of his skin. So naturally, he didn't blink at the idea of white people until, of course, they made him do so. And he's now seen as a cause for alarm and a target for abuse. So all this to say, he absolutely hated there and had to get the fuck out. So with the equivalent, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, ugh, just brutal. Ugh. So with the equivalent of a third grade education, red and three dollars to his name. In 1943, Damn. at age 16, he boards a Greyhound bus to New York City, looking to get as far away from Miami as he could. 
and he gets a job as a dishwasher in a coffee shop in Times Square. And he was essentially homeless. And he would actually switch from sleeping in the toilet in the bus station to the rooftop of the Brill Building. See, what he would go back and forth between the two. He was where's he the was Brill such- Building? It's like a famous building in Manhattan. It's oh, okay. pretty high up. So he would go there and into the toilet station where you, you know you pay a nickel and he would just stay there all night with his legs up. So he would eventually move to Harlem, but he actually inadvertently got caught up in a race riot and was <gasps> shot in the leg and treated the wound himself. What? I know. Like the the, the, the craziness just doesn't end with this. No, guy. I and <laughs> I knew none of this. No, I didn't either. I don't know if many people do. They know him in his later years, but I don't know if they know the beginning. So I'm glad that we're doing this finally. So he got sick of this life pretty quick, I gotta say. Like homelessness, getting shot in legs. No. I mean it sounds like a shot. dream existence to me. So he's like, I gotta escape this and I gotta get out of this winter, especially because I'm homeless. And in November of nineteen forty three he lies about his age. Remember, he's only 16. And he enlists in the army. Now he's assigned to a veterans administration hospital in Northport, New York, and he's trained to work with psychiatric patients. However, Sydney becomes very upset with how the hospital treated its patients and he feigned mental illness to obtain a discharge. And he actually confessed to a psychiatrist that he was faking his condition But the doctor, thankfully, was sympathetic and granted his discharge in exchange for his taking part in a research project for a year. So in December of 1944, he's released right before his 18th birthday. Right when he's supposed to be in the army, he's out of it. (laughs) He (laughs) lied, feigned illness to get out of it. So he's back in New York. He's looking for dishwasher and porter jobs again in the newspaper. And on the opposite page, it was the theatrical page. And there's an ad for actors wanted by little theater group apply in person at the American Negro Theater. And he figures, fuck it. Why not? And he auditions with co-founder Frederick O'Neill. Well, guess what? A third grade education is not going to lend itself well to reading a script. And O'Neill told him to stop wasting people's time and get a job as a dishwasher or something. And it was at that very moment that Sidney doubled down. And he knew he was going to be an actor and prove that man wrong. Acting was never a dream of his until that very moment. So he's doing this whole thing as a vendetta, as a revenge against this Frederick O'Neill guy. I feel like sometimes things done out of spite can be really helpful. Like Taylor Swift's reputation era? (laughs) I mean, honestly, there's something about sometimes just the need to prove somebody wrong. Absolutely. It could be such a great motivation. That's what I do most of my things for. It's a big motivator, I gotta say, in my life. Yeah, look what you made me do. Aha! Well done, Red. Thank you, thank you. I very. I'm not quite a Swifty, but I try. You did that one though. Yeah. Thank you. So after failing that audition with the American Negro Theater because he couldn't read a script, an elderly Jewish waiter, I love this, sat with him every night for several months, helping him to improve his reading using the newspaper. And then Sydney would also spend hours trying to mimic the American radio announcers of the time 
And oh. one in particular that he loved was called Norman Brokenshire. So over months of listening to him, he slowly loses his West Indie accent and he gains the sort of American entertainment English accent, which you're very good at, Red, by the way. When you go back to VO, you are very good at the old timey radio announcer voice, I will say. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. See? I don't think that's quite it, but it's... <laughs> Not quite, but you got it. <laughs> no, it's, uh, what is it? It's basically like, and now we're bringing all the latest news and so something like that. He copied it and that's how he got his well, famous that's so interesting boy. now that you say that, like, especially when he makes these speeches, because he's got such a great voice. Like, honestly, oh, you know who? He, I feel like, I feel like Barack Obama probably took some of like inspiration. Uh, well, the way there's that way of talking where there's a warmth and there's almost like a gravitas to it. Yeah. And without being too, when he, even though he's delivering something so serious, there's a sincerity to it that comes forward and the warmth that you're just drawn into. Yeah. And he has that. There's just such a power to the way he talks and he doesn't have to scream. He doesn't have to shout. No wonder Morgan Freeman is so inspired by him. And we he's, could go on and on about. Not We're going to have to do Morgan Freeman eventually, too. We really will. Yeah, I was going to, too. But then he talked about Sydney. a voice as well. But, anyways. <laughs> Back to Sydney. So that's where he got his regal, you know, very uh, commanding voice he has now. So six months later, in his one good suit, reading from True Confessions magazine, Sydney has a successful audition that lands him a three-month tryout at the American Negro Theater. But that's only because 40 women and no men had passed the audition. But hey. Really? And then another uh, coincidence, a fortuitous coincidence happened. So he was cast as the understudy to another famed actor, Harry Belafonte, in Days of Our Youth. And those two, by the way, would be work wives and like BFFs and kind of hand in hand throughout their careers. But they both saw one another as a threat because there's really, as you'll see later, only two black men in Hollywood at the time. It was either Harry or Sidney. But one day, Sidney does end up filling in for Harry because Harry actually had to work a garbage man shift <laughs> and oh. a Broadway director just so happened to be there and recruits him for an all-black adaptation of the classic Greek play Lysistrata. And oh, Lysistrata, yeah. Lysistrata. And he has 12 lines in it, small role, as a courier, but he's actually in the very first scene and the curtain goes up, he freezes, the audience laughs, and Sidney's like, all right, that's it, fuck it. No more acting for me. This is not for me. But turns out the reviewers thought it was a shtick and they loved him. And so began his acting career. So let's just look at all the coincidences that are lining up for him. Wow. Like, first, no men had passed the audition. He got it. Then Harry had to work a garbage man shift. He got it. Then the audience thought he was doing a shtick. And then he starts his whole acting career from that. Like, so many things had to line up. It's just crazy. And Sometimes you, fate, he man. Died. Yeah, he should have died. He was born two months early. So the universe needed this man. And we all saw why in the world. <laughs> So, in one of his earliest plays, he works with Ruby Dee and her husband, Ozzie Davis, two big actors of the time, and they become very close friends. And also at this time, he meets Juanita Hardy, a college graduate and model. And so, hold that thought. We're now in 1949. Sydney stars on the rise. He's 22. And he gets an offer to play a young black doctor 
in a 1950 Hollywood film called No Way Out. It's a huge deal. Hollywood, as we know, is racist as fuck at this mm-hmm. time. And But big, big role for him. Huge deal. And he feels super secure now that he's landed his first big movie role. And he marries Juanita. And Ooh, I was waiting for that. Because yeah. I'm like, come on, Sydney. I mean, right? she sounds like a catch. Yes, she is. I'm. Oh, she's all of his... Well, you'll see. He's had many wives, but they're Ah. stunning. (laughs) Or not many, but he's had women. He has good taste. And he decides to visit his parents in Nassau, who haven't heard from him in eight years. And it's very cute. They all see No Way Out in the movie theater. And that was the first movie his parents had ever seen. So touching. And Like, how amazing is that? Not only is it the first film, but it's like, there's... There's There's my son. son, And he's killing it in a revolutionary role because, again, at that time, they're playing black people were cast in servant roles and, you know, magical Negro roles and just subservient. They still are the magical Negro. But I was going to say, was this like an early example of like a a black person being a doctor? Okay. Like, that's what I was. Wow. Big deal. Huge. And now we have something like Doc McStuffins. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where, oh my God, quick side story. Yeah. There's a comedian who talks about how his daughter watched Doc McStuffins. The mom in the show is a doctor. Oh. Doc is a high bandit. I know, Get you it. know the story. You're like, why are you barking at the toilet? I think there's something under our house and he's barking at it. <laughs> um. Anyway, so the comedian talks about how his daughter after seeing the show then goes to the doctor and it's a white guy who walks in and she was like where's the doctor because i know this white guy isn't my doctor because it should be a black woman representation is so important so important so seeing unfortunately a lot of times until we see it we don't realize we can be it Absolutely. So for black people to only have seen themselves as the help, yep. unfortunately, mm-hmm. they unfortunately it sets a precedence like you can't be anything else. And here we have Sydney being yes. a doctor, a person in power and allowing black people to see, wait, if I know that this is an actor, but also first off we have a black actor like actually given more than like two lines amazing and then also but no it's just that whole thing of it's so unfortunate that also it's taken this long in cinematic history to actually see this i know and that doesn't stop there because in the next role that he plays he plays a priest in cry the beloved country and this is in 1951 however the film was shot in south africa for 16 weeks and he had to room with this outspoken actor named canada lee and actually sign papers to be the director's indentured slave so he could legally work i'm sorry in the country. what yeah which is, I mean, we're talking about how we've gone so far, but yet we're regressing. <sighs> but he had to get in there somehow. And then this will come back into play later. And then he found South Africa to be the worst place he'd ever been because, you know, apartheid and all that is a frothing and just political unrest. So we'll come back to the South Africa of it all. But we're now in 1955. He's 28. And he plays a student in a film called Blackboard Jungle, where basically <sighs> these teenage boys are terrorists. And he's recruited to reform these bad boys. Yeah. And he's yet again in this role of the exceptional Negro and was sensational red. And it should have made him a star, but he found himself out of work because McCarthyism's at its height. And because of his friendships with this Canada Lee guy and this actor, left-wing political activist, Paul Robeson, this lands Sydney on the blacklist. And so he struggles, like, looking once again 
for dishwashing work, construction work, porter work. He starts like an unsuccessful restaurant. He moves into an attic apartment in Astoria, Long Island with Juanita. They had two daughters by this time, Beverly and Pamela, and he loved being a dad. And he would actually go on to have two more daughters with her and two more with another woman. So that's a total of six daughters, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, six daughters? Are they all Between still in that the, attic? The two other ones were with another woman. So oh. four with one, two with another, six daughters. Crazy. So, you know, those three films, he's playing, you know, this, this reformer to these boys in school. He's playing a priest. He's playing a doctor. And he's out of work now after right. he's worked so hard. So he finds himself approached to play a vengeful janitor without a lot of agency. And even though he desperately needed the money, he has, you know, actually at this time, I think Beverly or Pamela was on the way, the second daughter. He desperately Mm -hmm. needs the money for his children. But instead, he turns it down out of integrity. This is not the role for him. You know, he has no ill will towards janitors, but the role itself was like we said, they weren't there weren't many good roles for black actors and Right. And to go from those other roles and then to take this, it would almost be like a step way Back. wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Yes. And even though he really needed the money. So he takes that alone instead and turns down the role. And thank God he does. Like so much respect and integrity for that, though. I just wanted to call that out because that right. is just. I mean, I again, I would have done that. The other <laughs> thing, too, is like, again, there's there there is like a need to fill certain roles of course but there are times where actors will be like criticized for not taking certain roles or they'll be or because they do take a stance on certain things and are vocal about it people will be like oh like we've seen this with asian actors where or actresses where they're like told like be quiet be grateful and it's like no sometimes you have to stand for your own beliefs and you have to do what is right for you not just taking something because Granted, there are times when you need to take something yeah, just for the paycheck. Exactly. I'm not above that. But again, I also see why this was so important to him. And for honestly, I feel like he probably had that in mind where it's like he has six daughters and he's trying to show like integrity. Thankfully, though, Stanley Kramer calls and his career takes off again when he stars in the movie Defiant Ones in 1958. And this movie is revolutionary because this is the first time a black man asserts his power and commands respect from a white man on screen. Tony Curtis plays the white man. However, in this movie, he sacrifices his freedom to save his white friend in this like train scene at the end. And many black people hated this magical Negro thing. But still, he's nominated for his first Oscar. And though he didn't win, this finally catapults him into the mainstream. He's on the cover of Ebony magazine. He's 31. He's a stud and he's a star. So thank (laughs) God that things are looking up. So next comes his infamous role in Raisin in the Sun in 1959, (gasps) written by Lorraine Hansberry. And as we all know, it follows the Youngers, the African-American family living together in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And they have to determine what to do with the insurance payment they'll receive from the death of their patriarch. And his wife, Juanita, actually ends up being the largest investor in the play, which I love. And Sydney knew for certain 
through the run of that play. He had been introduced to his true calling, and he was an actor with a capital A. The audience loved it. The film was made the next year, and many call it his most electric acting role ever as Walter Lee. So, it's legendary. Reason in the sun. I mean, it's, it's legendary. He's just <laughs> a powerhouse. Like, he's a powerhouse. It's really hard yeah. to describe him in any other way because he's just such a presence. Anytime yeah. he's on the screen, you're just so drawn to him. I could see also why someone like Denzel definitely yep. drew it like oh, he's basically cast the torch to denzel yeah yeah because Denzel's I mean, definitely sydney that's nowadays. the thing there's like yeah. you can see where the inspiration comes for other actors and things like that where there's different bits and pieces of just like oh i can see how that would be inspiring and how that could have helped like you know different actors because that's the thing i think actors do look to other performers and other people to enhance their own performances as well like absolutely and to have someone like Sydney as like such a trailblazer for all this. I mean, gives me chills. Just right. someone watching his performance and the way that he speaks and like just holds a room. Oh God, he commands. See, I that. feel like so many people can see that and be like, "Damn, yeah, absolutely." So, how next- do I do that? Yeah. <laughs> So next comes a kind of significant movie called Paris Blues in 1961. And it's significant because it was there, Red, that he would meet the woman he would have an affair with for many years. The stunning lead of that movie, Diane Carroll. Diane Carroll. So Sydney apparently tells Juanita that he got an apartment so he could write. And it was something else, of course, she would learn. (laughs) So Diane Carroll, he meets her on Paris Blues and that starts an affair. But now we're up to the March on Washington. It's August 1963. Harry Belafonte, Sydney's work wife, basically, and Sydney made this a global event. And it's important to note, you know, he didn't want to be defined by his color. It was exhausting. He was really the only guy in Hollywood, him and Harry. And he's said this to Oprah actually it's difficult when you're carrying other people's dreams because he would later face a lot of and we'll go into it but he would face some criticism from the black community who complained about like racial tokenism in his Mm -hmm. roles you have to hold on to the dream that's inside yourself and know if you're true to that that's really all that matters yeah Um, because he's there's so much pressure on him he's representing an entire race and we'll learn a little bit how black people thought he was an uncle tom they weren't happy that white people loved him so much he was like this non-threatening noble negro who fulfills like white liberal fantasies so it's a heated time he's putting on a brave face with harry to represent but an entire people like it's just like so much pressure because right. really only again, him and harry yeah <laughs> right because you're trying to be have integrity for yourself yeah but also you're trying to help elevate other voices and trying to give other opportunities but unfortunately you also kind of have to play the game that is hollywood yeah. mm-hmm. and it is not made at this time mm-hmm. for really telling anyone else's story other than a white man So, of course, someone coming in who is a black man is going to be, and again, we're speaking on this as two white women, so, of course, we don't, we can never fully comprehend what that experience is like. Right. But we can also understand just that the challenge that that must be, even as outsiders to that, Mm -hmm. we can recognize that that's a huge challenge to have. And then on top of that, trying to be representative, but also try to please everybody, it's just not possible. No, not possible. Can't please everybody. And I understand too why these roles are not going to go over well with the community because, again, they're written by white people. 
Yeah. Of course, they're not going to actually see the perspective. Like, we still struggle with it. So I'm not saying uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we're getting better, but we're still not there. We still so, have a lot of work to do. But, and here's so the thing. much. He's already Boy. facing some He because of the eyes on him because of the March on Washington and him representing Black Hollywood. But he's not even at his apex yet because there's more to come. So next comes this low-budget film called Lilies of the Field in 1963. And like many award-worthy movies, you know, it's small, but it gathers its audience over time. And he plays this black handyman who helps to build a group of nuns, a church. And it's actually funny. Harry Belafonte turns it down. And Sidney actually sings in this movie, even though he claimed he couldn't. Because, you know, that's why they wanted to have Harry, because, you know, hey, oh, hey. He was a singer. But Sidney was fantastic. Oh my god, anytime I hear that, I think Beetlejuice and I almost yeah, spit I out my tea. And he was fantastic. Sidney was fantastic in the film and I bet Harry's kicking himself because guess what, Red? It's this film that wins him the Academy Award. This is before we even have a Civil Rights Act. This is a huge turning point in Hollywood's depiction of Black people in cinema. The first Black man to win it. Amen. Damn. So, sorry, Harry. This could have been you. (laughs) I mean, it's hard to say, though, because, again... I know. It's not like you could just put someone in the role and they're going to deliver the performance that's going to earn them that. Totally. But he stood a better chance. (laughs) Yeah. He would have been like, damn it. Yeah. So, you know, we're now getting closer to his apex. Now get into some more political of it all it's 1964 and, and he's in Mississippi and Sydney gets political he tells people to get out and vote and Sydney and Harry they go down to Mississippi and you know they, they want to donate funds to the civil rights causes they were very lacking in funds and they needed help so they're promised they're going to have protection the security mm. when they get down there I'm sure you know what happens next yeah the way you phrase that <laughs> I have a feeling it just might yeah, not go well <laughs> Then they had huh. and they were fine. No. What do you mean? <laughs> Didn't it go perfectly to plan and all the things that were promised were delivered? Rainbows and dandelions uh, carried them to their destination. I mean, oh. all, all the times I hear about this era in Black yeah. Men in Mississippi. In the Mississippi it, area. Right. <laughs> oh, God. So, yes, Red, the KKK it gets word that they're here. Oh, follows fuck. them runs into the back of the car, tries to basically cut them off and end them. And thankfully, they're getting closer to, I think it's Greensboro, some college. Some students pile into their cars. They're on trees. They're in rafters. And they help stave the KK off and help usher them into Greenwood. And they started singing the song from Lilies of the Field. You know, it goes like, amen, amen. Like, that's the song that Sydney sung in in that movie that won him the Academy Award. And it was oh, just wow. such an emotional moment, like, that he meant so much, like, that he was there. They ushered him in. They fought off the KKK. It's just, like, yeah, such an emotional moment. the KKK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was such a, oh, God, harrowing moment, but also a very touching moment. Like, oh, my God, just chills just hearing about it in the documentary I watched. Gotta love the South at that time. So <sighs> 1967 was the summer of Sydney. We're getting to the apex. So there's one called To Sir With Love. He's mm-hmm. a teacher who's a mentor to white children. There's one called The Heat of the Night, where he slaps a white greenhouse owner back in the face. And black people loved it. There was the slap heard around the world before the slap heard around the world. <laughs> and, of course, guess who's coming to dinner? Huge, huge I was huge waiting movie. for it. I uh-huh. was waiting for it. I knew it was coming. Uh-huh. It's coming. That one, that that one was such a great film. Well, because again, I think that's one of the first 
times, granted I could be wrong, but where in a domestic setting, you're having these uncomfortable conversations about Mm -hmm. race and you're talking Mm -hmm. about what that means to the family unit and why are people so threatened by this when, I mean, and the way he carries himself in that film, I mean, you would feel like somebody like that who, again, he's successful. He's the only issue is his, the color of his skin. Yeah, I, that's my favorite and quote, yet. actually. He, he says to his father in one of the scenes, you think of yourself as a colored man. I think of myself as a man. Oh, chills. Yeah. Like, he's crying. Like, he's talking from his heart in that scene. I just get chills. Well, because yeah. I can imagine, too, he's drawing on his actual experiences of, like, I don't see myself as different. I just, I am a man. I have had clearly a lot of struggles in this world and a lot of them unfortunately i had to overcome so much more because my skin color absolutely ridiculous that that should be such a factor but that was for unfortunately still is but the fact that you know this was the summer and these three movies were released back to back proved that he was a big box office draw and honorable and commercially viable so i mean this is really his peak but as we know red as i mentioned earlier because he was everywhere and this was his peak he was like taylor swift that year basically you know black people (laughs) did think he was an uncle tom and he was facing a lot of unhappy people with him fulfilling these white liberal fantasies and so if there's a peak there's there's valleys and a big thing happens on april 4th of 1968 martin luther king is assassinated mm. and him and his BFF work wife Harry they fight over how to memorialize him and they won't talk to each other after that for a very long time Harry wanted like this big rally and, and Sydney thought it'd be a distraction so they were fighting over that and then to add insult to injury he and Juanita separated and he went to Diane Carroll the one whom he was having the affair with peaks and valleys red so we're seeing a little different flavor for him he's had so much success up and up and now a little bummer but another little peak happens in 1969 when a very interesting cast of characters comes together barbara streisand paul newman and sydney they become business partners and they start a production company <laughs> and they make movies oh. of their own which is amazing it's like the avengers it's crazy those, those honestly three. and uh where is that marvel movie come on oh my god please seriously Let's do AI and bring them all back. I mean, Barbara's around, but bring Paul and Sydney back in AI and let's make this movie. I just want the poster. Can any of you listeners, if you want to make a superhero poster of the three of them, just epic pose. What's the name of the production company? It's called First Artist. So yeah, they start a production company called First Artist. Yeah, so if somebody wants to make the First Artist superhero movie poster, we will love you forever. We'll post that to our social. Yeah, that would be so funny. I would love that. Just I'm already picturing it in my head, like Streisand, like just in like the Black Widow pose. Like, come on. (laughs) And you could also make it even more Avengery because then later they're joined by Steve McQueen and Dustin Hoffman. Oh my god! The five of these people on the poster. (laughs) Please, somebody. Like, I do not have those. You've seen my Photoshop skills on our social. Please do not make me do this. There's a reason we do bad Photoshop. Okay. Yes. And so this operates from 1969 to 1980, and it gives movie stars more creative control over their production. So badass. And so Sydney's now, like, putting black people in positions where they can have a career behind the camera. He's kind of passing the ball because in the 70s, 
you got afros you got soul train you got black exploitation and pop culture has changed so quickly sydney's almost passe now because shooting white men and having sex with white women is something that happens all the time now and so he's kind of a little passe a little outdated but rewinding to just before the 70s come in the lost man in 1969 he meets joanna Shimkiss, and she is stunning red you have to look her up she's beautiful joanna Shimkiss. s-h-i-m-k-u-s look her up <gasps> she's wow. stunning she is stunning she's a that hair. film actress i can see you that first picture kind of looks like you like i can oh, see that you recreating very that. kind of you I to say recreating that like uh, right look at her i will work on that but uh also she's, she's canadian yeah, so she's a Canadian film actress, and they meet on the 1969 film The Lost Man, and they would go on to have two kids and then get married after a nurse thought she was the nanny taking in his kid. So, yes, so now he's with Joanna. So now we're in the 70s. So in 1972, Harry Belafonte, they're friends again. Yay! A project for him. And <gasps> Sydney actually ends up becoming the film's director. And so this was the first film Sydney would direct called The Buck and the Preacher, which actually Quentin Tarantino drew a lot of inspiration for, for Django Unchained. Um, oh. So yeah, it's a classic. And that's the first film he ever directs. And then this is, I did not see this coming for his career, but in 1975, he directs this comedy called let's do it again black people loved it huge great comedy but then he does one called stir crazy in 1980 with gene wilder and richard pryor oh <laughs> he did success huge like made 100 million dollars in 1980 and now sydney's this big hollywood comedy director like i never saw this coming for him but stir crazy is so funny so good gene wilder and richard pryor give it a watch so good i mean um, that's a Sydney great directed. duo <laughs> I mean, I will say, I don't think a lot of people know that Richard Pryor actually worked on Blazing Saddles, which is another. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, so good. I mean, you know that they can do the comedy together because even though Richard Pryor is not in it, right. you know that Gene Wilder can handle things that Richard Pryor is going to throw at him. So, oh, I love it. Absolutely. So we're getting to, you know, the end. So he chooses to step away in the 80s. His career is kind of waning a bit. And it became a little difficult for him to just come back into the things because of his, you know, his great stature, but the lack of quality material to match his stature and the type of roles he wanted. Because there's all these franchise type action movies, you know, Terminator and all the, you know, just craziness of the 80s. And he's just not finding content and quality to match. So he'll do some more directing and projects but this peak has come with good run and in 1992 he gets the afi life achievement award in 1997 he's the ambassador to japan for the bahamas and in 2009 he gets the presidential medal of freedom and in terms of his legacy read like where do i begin i found some some legacy things so he was described as an icon in his obituary by usa today vanity fair they called him the martin luther king jr of the movies several film historians and journalists have called him Hollywood's first African-American film star. And the New York Times note that he was instrumental for the diversity of Hollywood and paved the way for black actors in film. The Hollywood Reporter writes that he was the first actor to star in mainstream Hollywood movies that depicted a black man 
in a non-stereotypical fashion and his influence, especially during the 1950s and 60s, as role model and image maker was immeasurable. And while presenting Poitier the Honorary Academy Award in 2002, his kind of successor of sorts, Denzel Washington, Mm. said, before Sydney, African Americans had to take supporting roles in major studio films that were easy to cut out in certain parts of the country. But you couldn't cut Sydney out of a Sydney Poitier picture. Damn straight. Yep. And he was obviously an influential African American actor and highly viewed as such because he was the first actor to, you know, win the Academy Award. Um, he was the sole representative of American African Americans during the fifties and sixties. And uh the New York Times noted that he was an ambassador to white America and a benign emblem of black power and for those, his role in diversifying Hollywood and his role in paving the way for further black actors. He is one of the most important figures of 20th century Hollywood. And, uh, you know, Obama noted that he advanced the nation's dialogue on race and respect and open doors for a generation of actors. And uh, his documentary film about his life and legacy was released in September 23rd, 2022. And he was around for the, the interviews. So it's crazy. They got it just under the wire because he died in early 2022. And in terms of his legacy, here's a quote of his, though history will accurately acknowledge my presence in those proceedings, my contribution was no more important than being at the right place at the right time one in that series of perfect accidents from which fate fashions her grand design. History will pinpoint me as merely a minor element in an ongoing major event, a small, if necessary, energy. <laughs> He's so modest, Fred. I mean, like- <laughs> but what a beautifully well-said oh, way yeah. of saying that. Like, right. like the happenstance. He's not wrong and all those things kind of lining up for those opportunities and to recognize that and be like, you know, there are some cases where it just lined up in such a way and god what an incredible human being just to be able to again i didn't know the early parts of his story and how much he actually overcame to get there and again the things we do to spite someone my god (laughs) right all going back to proving frederick o'neill wrong and right he ever yeah frederick is just kicking himself and yeah we (laughs) love that for you Uh, i mean we love all that you did and again that was not an easy role to take on i mean just being kind of like the poster man for everything you know entire race Uh, and again (laughs) of course they're not going to be happy about the depictions and again i'm not saying it's right but it's slowly moving towards a better direction but it's still obviously not truly reflecting the story that needs to be told but because you don't have those people in the room being able to tell the story it's all from one person's perspective thank god that so much has changed but we still have a way to go like i mean 2020 as you saw red when you know with with george floyd i finally saw it from the industry like we're waking up finally getting there we're catching up but it's just weird because like you know sydney kind of paved the way and then we kind of lost ourselves 
I feel like the 90s and 2000s, we kind of regressed. And now we're just kind of getting back on track. But at least we're getting back on it's track. It's a lot of two steps forward, three steps back. Exactly. Where you feel like you're moving forward. But actually, when you look back, it's like, ugh. Like, we yeah. still, we could do so much better. And we can still do better. It's just, we need to have more people, more voices. Again, we understand. We are two white people talking yes. about issues that we are not directly involved with. I mean, we can speak to the perspectives of trying to be women trying to break into certain rooms and to be taken seriously and things like that. However, it's even harder if you are of a minority and also a woman trying to do that. It's hard when you're a minority and a man. It's a hard when you are neither gender or like non-binary or transgender. It's so hard. And I'm not saying also it's perfect for a white man, but I am saying that there are obstacles that they don't even realize everybody else has to kind of overcome. And again, it's not perfect for anybody, but the more we have people like Sydney who make it possible for us to see, oh, this is something we can do too, whether any kind of background, just saying like, oh, here's somebody who is able to do this. Maybe I could too. But Kelly, thank you so much for bringing Sydney to the table. We love love that for you and all of you listeners. So amazing. What do we do? We plug our Instagram. We plug the Facebook. We tell you to email us and rate, review, subscribe. Obviously, you've already done it, but let me just say it again. Rate, review, subscribe. And we will catch you next week. We're going to have some pairings. Um, Instead of just focusing on one person per profile, we're going to focus on some relationships. Ooh. You know, February, that time of, Uh you know, love or unlikely relationships, whether they be (laughs) platonic or otherwise. So, yeah, we're going to have a little bit of fun with that. And so you have that to look forward to. But what I look forward to most is this duo to Kelly talking to you and, you know, all the antics as like, you know, we get interrupted by family members. And there was apparently a raccoon under my house. Yeah. And I mean, (laughs) new additions with Cynthia joining the table. She doesn't say much, but she's there. I Um, love Cynthia. Yeah. Watch her on the Instagram. uh, I'm so (laughs) excited for everything coming up for us. And also just looking forward to hearing more from you guys, our listeners. We appreciate all the interaction, all the love. And this year is already off to a great start. And can't wait just for everything. Yay! See you guys next week. Love you guys. Bye. Thank you for joining us on I Love That For You. Our theme song is by Vaudeville and used with permission. Our cover art is by Jenny Lamb, edited to the best of our abilities by Kelly and Red. 
If you want us to spotlight someone, have questions, or just want to say hi, email us at ilovethatforyoupod at gmail.com or join us on Instagram at ilovethatforyoupod to join the love fest and see what else we get up to. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, basically wherever else you listen. We appreciate all your love, and if you want to help support the show, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. This helps us spread the love and reach more people. Thanks for listening. We love you.